But what I wanted to do tonight was um, pinpoint repentance and some of its characteristics. And David is a really good place to go to get a grasp of repentance. Um, His story and also uh, his psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. But, you know, one thing I want to make clear about repentance is it's absolutely necessary for salvation. It's absolutely necessary. We've, we've, we've got a culture um, around us that quotes Romans 10 and says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that's true. That's so true. But the problem with that environment that, that can tend to take that in the wrong direction is they forget what it means for Jesus to be Lord. It's easy to say that Jesus is Lord if you have no understanding that when Jesus is Lord, He is Lord of your life. He is Lord of all things. You have given Him all things. Nothing is not His. You... uh, Paul, in all of his epistles, he mentions his slavery to God, his Lord and Master. He mentions that he is a servant ready to serve and to give all. And so we have a culture that says, believe, and we'll talk about repentance later. That might be something that you can grow into. But the reality is, faith and repentance are different sides to the same coin. They're pretty much identical. You can't truly do one without the other. You can't say, I'm going to believe and not live a life that reflects that belief. And if you, if you truly live a life that, ref, uh, that is uh, holiness unto the Lord... You are living that life based on what you believe. Jesus says it. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel and repent. And so this isn't just an Old Testament thing. This isn't just a John the Baptist thing. This is a gospel thing. That repentance is absolutely necessary. And we get that next week when John confronts the... Pharisees and the Sadducees as they come to listen to him. Uh, but with that, let's, uh, let's think about um, David. And we know the story of David. He is, he is walking the rooftops while the armies are at battle. So you can't talk about that with just not, without saying when you're being when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're kind of being lazy, you're putting yourself in the chance to sin. David's supposed to be off at battle with his armies. He's walking the rooftops and he catches Bathsheba. He desires Bathsheba. He goes after her. 
He has her. She becomes pregnant. Long story short, in order to cover him, he, he schemes to kill Bathsheba's husband. First, he tried to make it look like it was Bathsheba, or it was her husband who had came and she had gotten pregnant, but it didn't work out that way. So he had him killed in battle. Uh, he thought he was free, that he had gotten by. But then you get 2 Samuel chapter 12, and Nathan approaches David. And now let's just let's read um, let's read this chapter. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used... He used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him, this ewe lamb. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly... I mean, that's just a bad story. That's just a bad story. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, as anyone's would be. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if there were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Now, there's a couple, a couple things 
before we move to Psalm 51 that I want us to understand. Um, The devastation of sin. The devastation of sin. How bad exactly it is. Uh, We see the effect of David's sin that has that God has declared that will take place because of it. Our sin, though it may be forgiven, as Nathan told David, there were consequences to that sin. And you think about um, it makes me think of what's his name um, in Jericho when they go to Jericho. And they uh, they take the uh, they take the bounty from Jericho, and they aren't supposed to keep anything from themselves. What is what? Achan? Achan, there it is. And Achan takes uh, takes the things that he's not supposed to. Um, and Joshua finds out about it. The Lord knows it. And the travesty of the ending of that story is that Achan's not the only one that paid. Well, first, Israel paid a price for his sin. They lost that, that next battle. They lost that next battle. They lost men because of that. But then at the end of that, we see that not only did Achan's sin bring wrath and judgment upon him, but also upon his family. Now, and it's not to say that that's one-to-one every time when we sin, that that, that same repercussion is to our family. But our sin affects those around us greatly. Um, And the second thing I want us to see is the blindness to our own sin. The blindness to our own sin. David is getting this story, and we... We're like, man, this is playing out exactly the way this is this is exactly what David did. He can't see that. He does he has he can't see that that's what Nathan's doing. He is blind he knows he has sinned, but he is blind to the reality of it and therefore has unwilling to admit it, to confess it. But this is why I tell us and say over and over again the Blessings of us gathering together and us in fellowship. Nathan is his brother. You know, not blood brother, but Nathan would be someone that he could trust in. And when David has sinned and he can't see it, Nathan smacks him up the head and said, you sinned, straighten up. And that was his loving David. That was him being there for David as we talked about this morning. Now, we're not going to smack each other upon the head, but that's what it's going to feel like sometimes. When we have been told, and I, whoo, anybody's married, they understand this. When you're told by your spouse that you might have done something you can't do, if you're willing to see it, it hurts. It hurts. But the gloriousness of our spouse, the blessing of having a spouse who is, who is uh, in Christ, is that it, that's there for your sanctification. 
That's there for your growth and holiness. We are blind to our sin, but the Lord has graced us with spouses, brothers and sisters in Christ, the church, to help us to see our sin. So, now, to the repentance. Turn to Psalm 51. Notice the heading for Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So there ain't no guessing on this one. We know when David wrote this. We know what had just happened. We just read about it. This is David's response to Nathan calling him out for his sin. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you did, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So there's three things, and we'll read more of it here in just a second, but there's three things that I want us to pull out of what true repentance is, what true repentance looks like. And this morning, I said that that word uh, that John the Baptist was using really has the idea of a change in their mind, a change in thinking. Well, when you see the word in the Hebrew, it, we, it's more of what we typically hear taught. It's more of that turn. They're, they're going to lead to the same place, one is more of a, a mindset and the other is more of a, I'm seeing you turn from something to another. Well, when you have a mind change about the Lord, you're turning from your sin to the Lord. If you have a mind change about the Lord, as he says, Paul says in Thessalonians, you're t- turning from the, from the idols to God. So while they might take it from a different perspective, it's the same thing. And so what I want us to see is number one, True repentance is internal. It's of the heart. It's happening on the inside. Uh, True repentance includes confession. So it's happening on the inside, but it's being spoken of. It's being confessed. It's being said. And the third thing is that true repentance then bears fruit. It's visible in our lives and in our actions. So it begins, it is here on, in the internal, internal, 
it is spoken, whether it be to the Lord or to a brother or sister in Christ, the one we've offended. Uh, and three, there is fruit that takes place based off of that confession. There is, there is something that is seen. There is a change in action. So, repentance is of the heart. Listen to David in verses 1 and 2. And tell me that this is not originating within him. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now we remember this morning in Malachi, that was what, that was what God was sending John the Baptist to do, to turn hearts, to turn hearts, the fathers to their children and disobedient uh, to, to justice, to turn the heart. That is the work that the Lord is doing. So when we talk about believing, it is something that we're saying, but it all is an internal thing. It's a changing of who we are in the inside. This is the new birth, I think, as I mentioned this morning. Ezekiel prophesies the new covenant, the new birth, and says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Yours is like a rock. It's dead. The one I want to give you is flesh. It's beating. It's alive. So true repentance is from the heart because it is coming from a changed heart. Now, initially in, in that new birth, but also throughout the life. So David, David's confession, his repentance has to come internally. It isn't something that we just say and wear and do. Because some people can fake it till they make it, right? It is an internal thing. Now those people who fake it till they make it, they will either one day fall short in front of everyone. But in the end, we know that the Lord completely understands what's truly taking place on the inside. And see a few teenagers here, parents, grandparents of teenagers. How many times have you heard you want to have this moment with them and you say, I love you so dearly. That's why I buy you the things I buy you. That's why I drive you where I drive you. And they go, I love you too. I love you. And they walk away. That is, and I'm not saying that y'all do that at all. Don't, don't smile because that you're condemning yourself. But the point is, is we can say something and it not be true. We can speak words and it not be from the heart. And this is where true repentance always starts. It always starts internally. And we cannot live, we cannot be satisfied with one another. We cannot be satisfied with um, skin-deep repentance, skin-deep confession. As, not just individually, but as a church. Because when we don't take confession and repentance seriously, then the pews fill up. But they fill up with goats. They don't fill up with sheep. And then... I'll tell you something, you let that happen and we have a business meeting, it don't go like it went today. 
we, we as a congregation, we guard, we guard the membership, not in the sense of saying, if you don't do this, 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 and this, we don't get in, but we look for evidence of heart change. We don't just say, oh, you confess, so that's it. We know them by their fruit. We know them by their fruit. We have to guard, we have to guard the church from skin deep faith and repentance because that's no repentance at all. That's no faith at all. Uh, Joe, you know, one of the, um, and I'm not going to get through this, one of the, um, one of the problems God had with the Israelites, and it comes out in Joel, I think in Isaiah as well. In Isaiah, he tells them, he says, I'm so sick of hearing your assemblies. I'm so sick of seeing your gatherings. I'm so sick of your offerings because it's just external. There is nothing that you are doing that is of the heart. And he just says, stop it. It makes me sick. And then in Joel, in Joel, he tells them, he says, if you are truly upset, if you are truly mournful over your sin, I don't want to see you rip your garments. I want to see you rip your hearts. He says, I don't care about a rendered garment. I care about a rendered heart. He wants to see brokenness over our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. That's what we're talking about here. An understanding of our sin on the internal that causes us to know the wretchedness of sin. And David knows it. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Look what he says in verse 7. Purge me. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Well, that's a statement. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. True repentance isn't skin deep. It's not just something we say but it's something that takes place on the inside. Uh, number two, true repentance comes with unbridled confession. It comes with pleas for, for, a plea for forgiveness, holding nothing back. Um, we know John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, when God tells John to write that, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, he's not just calling us a liar, but he's saying Christ is not in you. Because Christ himself claims that he is the truth. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We do make ourselves liars. And that same passage says we make God liars. True salvation comes with true repentance. True holiness and growth comes through true repentance. 
which comes with real confession. And not just saying, I'm a sinner, there I confessed. That's not, that's not what we're after. That's not what the Lord is after. He wants to know. He, he needs, we must confess our sin. Because if we don't know our sin, if we can't confess it specifically, I said that wrong. If we can't specifically confess our sin, then we don't know our sin. If you can't turn to the Lord in prayer and say, I'm dealing with this pride bad. If you can't say that and you're a prideful person, you don't know you're a prideful person. And you're missing the sin that is keeping you from growth. We must be able to confess our sin. And that's why in Psalm 139, the writer says, search me, know me. Show me these grievous ways that are in me. Show me this wickedness. Remember, we're blind to it. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. He's not going to reveal it to you if you don't want to know either. It's not like you're just going to be sitting around one day and be like, oh, I'm prideful. Mm. David wanted to know, and he, well, he knew that his sin was ever before him ever before Him. And so in our private worship and our meditations throughout the day, help me see this, Lord. Or you could just ask your spouse. They'll help you out too. But that's, again, the beauty of marriage. In marriage in a union with someone who is in Christ is that they are guided by the Spirit to help you grow in your holiness before the Lord. Um, I want to move on. Okay, that okay. There's another. There's an argument. Well, why do I have to confess my sin since Jesus had died for my sin, all my sin already? So the question: Why must I confess my sin if Christ has already died for all of my sin? Well, here's what I what I have to say about that. If you claim that Christ has died for your sin and you have no desire to confess sin, you don't truly believe that Christ has died for your sin. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. The cross is not a reason for us to not ask forgiveness. The cross is the reason we have confidence that when we come to Him and tell, ask Him to forgive us, that He will say, yes. That is the con- we don't use the cross as a reason why we don't need to confess. The cross is the reason why we want to confess. And when we want to confess and we do that, we know that He will say yes. And not just that, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. True repentance comes with true confession which means you've got to know or be seeking or want the Lord to help reveal to you your sin. And you see, this isn't just the idea of believe and repent for the first time, but this is the life of a believer, a life of repentance. So let's move to the last one and, and we'll, um, we'll conclude today, this evening. Um, it's visible. True repentance is visible. Look at verses 12 and 14. 
Matthew, or I'm sorry, Psalm 51, 12, 13, and 14. So we've had all that he said so far. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. A true repentant heart is seen One in worship, and I don't mean that you're the greatest, loudest singer. I mean that you worship. And let me just define worship really simple for us. When you hear me say worship, I don't mean singing. I mean worship the Lord. We we are worshiping the Lord now. As we fellowship, as we leave, as we do it in the Spirit of Christ... We worship. As we pray, we worship. That is our service unto the Lord. So our worship is joyful, is meaningful when we have hearts of repentance. Um, You will act on your confession, in your marriage, in your priorities, in that thing that you are uh, turning away from. It isn't just a, I said it, now I'm good. There is fruit that is seen for a repentant heart. Now, does that mean you'll never do it again? It doesn't. But don't use that as a reason to do it again. Just because you're a sinner, because that's we all are, that doesn't give you the excuse to sin. We who know the cross of Christ, we fight daily to keep from sinning. Not to be better than someone else, but because Christ has died for our sin. He took on the wrath of God for our sin. So why would we want to turn tomorrow and sin more or again? Again, doesn't mean it won't happen, but we fight it. We hate it. It's like a bad taste in our mouth when it happens. And when it does, as we remember, blessed are those who mourn. We mourn over our sin. Um... Luke 64, Luke 64, Luke 6 verse 45 says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. True repentance true ref- comes with true confession that comes from within and is seen on the outside. You can't pick and choose which ones you want there. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Um, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. God, we pray that you would be kind to us and show us 
that which the grievous weighs within us. God, that tomorrow, as painful as it might be, that you would help us to see where we fall short of your glory, where we have failed with our spouse, we have failed with our siblings, we have failed with our neighbors, we have failed uh, with our proclamation of the gospel. Lord, open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see our sin and grant to us repentance that we might turn away from whatever it may be for the sake of your glory, for the sake of our growth and holiness, which is again only that Christ may be glorified and exalted in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, be dismissed for the evening. And again, if y'all ever need anything, please call me, text me, let me know. I'd be happy to talk. Y'all have a blessed week.